What's up, everyone? This is the All In Audio Experience. Presented by Undefined Complex. Based in Huntsville, Alabama. With your creators, Trent Malone and Jordan Allen. We are the new voice of the Rocket City. So get prepared for talks on financial literacy, the state of the culture, and an introduction to the undiscovered gems of the 256. So watch us pour into you as you pour into us. And enjoy the ride. Peace. What's good, you guys? We're back. This is our first official episode. Feels like opening day. Mm-hmm. We usually like to keep things lighthearted, but today we're getting to some pretty serious stuff. We want to talk about the George Floyd homicide. We want to talk about what happened, the aftermath of what happened, and how it's changing and shaping our country, and hopefully for the better. The George Floyd homicide shed a light on our country, shed a light on the police brutality. Again. Again, and not in a way that we have at all, especially in the black community, have been preaching and seeing for a long time now. But hopefully with this change in the mindset of people across the country, all 50 states coming together to protest, it changes the minds and hearts of a lot of other groups of people who have opposed social equality for so long. Mm-hmm. So before we get started to talk about the change, we want to dive into the details of what actually happened. So everyone, this is what happened. It was a routine police call. The store clerk made a call. Supposedly there was a counterfeit 20 involved with George Floyd and the people that he was with. So this is... Um, George Floyd is at Cups Food on Chicago Ave. This is around 8 p.m. When the police are called, they pull up. George Floyd and the people that he is with are in a minivan. Um, One pulls up to the passenger side. One pulls up to the driver's side. And there is a little scuffle before George Floyd gets out of the car. He is then, shortly after that, handcuffed. He is escorted to the side of the building. Then there is another cop car that pulls up with Derek Chauvin and another police in there. So Derek Chauvin was not initially one of the officers on the scene. He arrives late, and as we all know, he is the man that put his knee on the back of George Floyd's neck for eight minutes for eight minutes while he was saying, I can't breathe. So they are escorting on the camera. They are escorting George Floyd to the patrol car. I think he stumbles a little bit. And then later, this is when they have the footage of Derek Chauvin with his knee on the back of George Floyd's neck. And that is what happened. With that being said, there's a few details we wanted to highlight. One, the $20 bill Mm -hmm. that this man was killed over still has not been released to the public. We don't know where it is. The police have kept quiet about 
the location of this $20 bill that we do not know if it was actually counterfeit or not. This man was killed over $20. $20. In the state of Minnesota, the highest fine you can receive is between one and three K in a year in prison. This man died over $20, and we don't even know if it was actually counterfeit or not. Exactly. Like, you know, I work at a store. Like, you know, we have these counterfeit pens. We have, you know, there's a way for you to, you know, look at it based on the light. And you can tell, like, what's real and what's fake. So I just really want to know, like. But how did the situation ever become that serious for cops to show up? Yeah. That immediately, because somebody leaving after using a counterfeit, the situation just doesn't add up and make sense. Because even when I have worked in fast food and we would check for that, that's something you try to prevent beforehand, before them leaving, before them walking away. Mm-hmm. But it's not something where you call the police and the police are there immediately, usually. But that's besides the point. We also wanted to highlight the fact that, which is also a positive, that the case was upgraded from third-degree murder to second-degree. Yep. (coughs) And all of them are in custody. All four of the police are in custody. Trump ordered an expedited investigation. So there will be some actions coming very soon. And the case being upgraded to second degree is notable for a couple of reasons. Third degree murder is only considered to be manslaughter. This man was choked for eight minutes. Mm-hmm. That's about as premeditated as I need to um, hear. It's not accidental. Not accidental. In my own opinion, I would love for him to be tried and convicted for first degree murder. But a lot of people have come with the the reasoning that in a similar situation in the Zimmerman, Zimmerman case, that there is a chance of him walking if they try to push for a conviction that is too heavy. Mm-hmm. Second-degree murder is considered to be in the moment, premeditated still, but if, to give an example, would it be you getting into altercation with somebody in the heat of the moment and you, say, beating him so much that he ended up dying, and first-degree would be a planned-out murder? Mm-hmm. But the man had his knee on him for eight minutes. That's not in the heat of the moment. For eight minutes, and there's no... He's handcuffed. He's he's down. How is he... Once again, we have somebody that is handcuffed that is cannot defend themselves, and they are being killed. No weapon, no nothing to show for a reason to even, you know, be fearful of your life. As an officer. And it just highlights how police officers seem to be the worst people in the country at conflict resolution. Mm. What is the point of you being a cop and you saying that you lead, you put your life on the line to do your job when in fact you don't? At the moment's notice of any type of conflict, the first thing a cop does is get physical to protect himself. Yeah. You're not protecting the people. You're not. You're hurting the people more than anybody else. You're hurting. You're killing the people. And at this point, it's just like there seems like there's just I don't know. You know, like you hear about this little man syndrome, syndrome or whatever with people that yeah, just yeah. And that's what like it feels like. Like this yeah. is your your way of like feeling authority, like feeling in an authoritative position. Yeah, like you don't have to do 
that. You don't have to go overboard when somebody is already handcuffed and laying down. So, um, And you said, um, I believe you told me, this wasn't Chauvin's first time. No. So according to the New York Post, um, he's been subject to 10 prior conduct conflicts and complaints over his 19 years on the force. So this is like something that has happened, you know, every other year, basically. He has been in some situation where there was a conduct complaint where he is maybe, you know, using too much force or he's just, you know, not doing what someone that is a police should be doing, you know, making sure that, you know, the people are safe. And the people that you're serving. People that you are serving are safe before, you know, just, you know, deciding to defend yourself. It's not, it's out of our control. It's not like he wants to kill. He just doesn't want to die. You know what I'm saying? It's that, it's that situation when you got, we, we are living in a war zone. I feel like I could represent my generation so much because I honestly did not care whether I live or die. But now, I cannot die. I can't leave until this shit is straight. You know, I'm not suicidal. I'm not, I can't go until y'all really know what time it is. And then after that, boom, it's all over. And we can see, you know, how this shit falls. But that's how it is. And the reason being is because if I can't live free, if I can't live with the same respect as the next man, I don't want to be here. Because God has cursed me to see what life should be like. just going to switch it back up and we're going to try to you know bring some some positivity you know because we do think there is something to be had here as far as like growth to be made here there is a the light at the end of the tunnel here if we want it to be if people decide to understand other perspectives there is something that can come from a lot of this tragedy yeah, but I feel like at a certain point, man, we, you know, the issue is going to be forced. So there's been a lot of protesting going on. And, man, I was in Huntsville being able to protest. It felt great to be in my community back home, downtown at the courthouse, and to see so many people that, you know, I went to school with, you know, and just so many other people there to support what's going on the progress that is trying to be made with police reform with social equality you know trying you know racism is a mental thing of course you can't you can't transform somebody's mind if that's what they have set in it but yeah that change definitely starts from within yeah but you can make it more visible to them that look this is an issue this is something that you need to think about you know if you are you know a lot of people say they are you know followers of the lord and they look at you know people in different kind of ways they look at certain people 
as inferior or they look at certain people as you know less than so if you are a follower of the lord you should be able to have a conscience a conscious and be able to make a conscious decision if you're, if you're spiritual in almost any way whether it be mm-hmm. from buddhism Taoism, hinduism almost all spiritual practices teach you to love and spread love to all people all your neighbors all your brothers so mm-hmm. it's a spiritual and mental thing if we really want to get down to it so guess what nowadays we all here to make you uncomfortable if you do want to feel that way still yeah. you know what i'm saying we we kind of tired of it kind of yeah man we tired we tired so this is my experience at the protests um basically you know the NAACP was there to begin with and yeah we had some great speakers there some great speakers there um I caught the tail end and you know it was just an amazing crowd amazing group of people out there and after that concluded, I think that concluded around, was it like seven or, you know, the NAACP, like, I think they wrapped it up around seven. Yeah, it was, um, it was still daylight outside, but it was, yeah. um, it was a good, uh, it was, a, it was about seven. Yeah. I'm trying to see now, because I, I wanted to say the speakers' names, because they did a really great job. I feel bad that I couldn't get their names. Yeah. But while he's trying to figure that out, um, you know, I saw a lot of people there. I was recording, you know, trying to get some footage of what's going on right now. I may have passed a few people that I normally would have spoken to, but, you know, I promise you, I didn't see you. I was, you know, locked in on what was going on, you know, trying to absorb the information and trying to capture the moment which was a an amazing moment. So after the NAACP wrapped up, all the speakers were done, a march ensued. Yes. And, you know. Because it initially was planned to just be a peaceful protest. Mm-hmm. Honestly, they didn't even plan for a march. That ended up happening after the speaker got done. They tried to wrap things up, but people yeah. uh, came up and spoke out for good reason, too. They came out there and was like no nah, we want to march we um we still feel like there's work to be done here so we uh we left like what was it like the courtyard it was like a yeah i guess it was just a kind of down there oh man it's like a park area but um it's just an open space so he was just moved out to the streets and kind of marched towards the courthouse um and that's where, you know, there was police stationed at the courthouse. Um, there was police in, like, a parking deck, of, you know, with riot gear just waiting on, you know, something to happen. Yeah, they were waiting on the curfew to hit. So they it was like they were waiting to tear gas people. Mm-hmm. But I feel like there was a notable part even before that. The crowd just wanted to see the police kneel in solidarity and i think that is one of the big takeaways i've seen from not only in our area huntsville their uh, police in other areas and the figures who i think in the big scope of things like 
the one percenters, the billionaires, is that their inability to show solidarity and respect toward, I want to say the us, the the people. Mm-hmm. They don't want to kneel. They don't want to, even when I'm watching um, First Take, um, a lot of what they talk about is a uh, the NFL, the NFL owners versus um, trying to show that they respect Colin Kaepernick and that they want to respect people kneeling and it's not a sign of disrespect to the flag. And they want the NFL owners and the baseball owners as well to show solidarity with the people that they are willing to work with them and not be greedy and see themselves as different or above the people and it's something that they still haven't shown i still wonder why we haven't seen we we see players talk we see people that we are close to talk all the time but we still haven't seen the police as a whole the one percenters come forth and talk to the people directly and show their solidarity i feel like that's something to be something to be said there yeah, that just speaks to their detachment from society. They're, you know, have access to just about anything. So, you know, our common issues, maybe they just don't, they can't even connect with at this point. They just don't even feel the need to, I guess. But yeah, and that's what it, it feels like. They just don't care. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, that's the protest was going on and, you know, I was out there recording and, you know, it was about to be curfew. I didn't really know there was a set curfew. I didn't Me know. Either. I didn't know there was a curfew still either, but he was like, yeah, y'all aren't supposed to be here anymore. Yeah, I don't I don't get how I don't remember seeing anything that says there was a curfew, but supposedly there was a curfew. And at a certain time, I guess when it got dark, you know. That's when, you know, everybody had to basically leave, but... Which didn't happen. Yeah, it didn't happen, but there was basically a moment where there was a bottle thrown, and then shortly there was tear gas, you know, they were waiting. But this was this was something that they were planning on doing already, though, because before a bottle was thrown, there were... Police on the courthouse steps, they were on the steps and they were putting their gas mask on. So regardless of what was about to happen, they were planning to do something with the tear gas. Whether a bottle was thrown or not, they had plans of tear gassing people to get them away from the downtown area. So look, this is a... this is something that I got a, a idea of what people should do. Uh, I don't know if we're going to be able to have the, the influence to do it, but we'll see. I think everybody should go to Bridge Street, and we should gut it out. Like I mean, oh, okay, okay, yeah, I that's that's what I mean. No, I'm, I'm not against I'm not opposed. I feel like the statement was made that they weren't with us at the courthouse, at least in downtown Huntsville. They were not. They they didn't care. Yeah. They didn't care. So, 
you know, that's that's an idea. Man. You surprised me with that one. He ain't tell me that before the podcast. <laughs> you surprised me with that one. Man, I just, you know, if some other people want to be involved in it, if y'all, you know, we get enough people, bro, it don't even matter. Like, if it's 500 to 1,000 people up there, what they going to do? You know, we got to. No, you're right. There ain't nothing they can do. There ain't nothing they can do. They can they can tear gas, but hey, I got them jets, big dog. So I'm out. <laughs> All right. On another note, we wanted to address Governor K. Ivey because we really just don't like her. During the 2018 election, Governor Kay Ivey campaigned on the idea of protecting the Confederate monuments. She signed the Alabama Monuments Preservation Act into law. Across the country, Confederate monuments have been getting taken down. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, Alabama is behind the buck again. Yes, for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, man. So I feel like this statue, yeah, maybe it is historic. You know, but it shouldn't be in front of a courthouse. You know, you can move it to the museum, which is right across the street. It's I, easy. I don't even agree with the whole ideology at all. Like, that was, like, her her reasoning behind it. Like, we don't need to forget our history. And I guess what you're saying is right. We can move it somewhere else if you're that determined for us not to forget our history. Yeah. But we don't need to celebrate that history and that history uh, marginalize certain groups in the it was not a good time for everybody. Like the whole make America great again. It wasn't a good time for other people. So we don't want the statue there. Exactly. So like a memorials for serving to preserve remembrance. We as black people do not want to remember that. That's fine. If you want to remember that, that's why, okay, it is historic. You know, that's why you have civil rights museums where we can see the pain that our people went through. But, you know, we're not going to celebrate it. You're not celebrating it. We want to we go back in that time so that we remember where we came from. And we we remember those times and we remember the people that had to go through these rough times. But these memorials like this Confederate soldier out front of the courthouse Robert is e. Lee. not something that we want to remember as black people. Y'all can put it in y'all's white museum. Y'all always put it in the history book anyway. It's oh, the first thing y'all put in the textbook. I swear. Like, what What else do y'all need to remember? Y'all got it in every textbook. There is all of that history. Where is our history in the textbooks? Y'all are reminded constantly of the greatness, supposedly, that you all, the power that y'all had over people. Like, it's, oh, it's time for that to go. It's time for that mindset to leave. That's why she's about 90 years old, and this act just speaks to her age group, you know, and that mindset of some of the white people in that age group that just, you know, want to hold on to those times. And we don't need to hold on to any of that. All of that needs to be done away with so humans can be one like we're supposed to be instead of this separation of colors and race and all these different things. We need to get rid of all of these things that remind us of the separation of ourselves. And we need to build upon things that will bring unity.
goes deep. We know it takes a lot of maturity to look into somebody else's perspective and care about something that doesn't directly affect you. But it's necessary for us to take this next step. As a country, a lot of people have been marginalized and unequal for too long. With that being said, we're about to get up out of here, guys. I want to shout out Lakey Inspired Music. Lakey. Go ahead, uh, tell them what we got in store for them. So what we have in store for you in the next episode is going to be about COVID-19. Y'all think this is over with. Y'all think it has disappeared. But no, this biological warfare is still going on. Stay inside, please. Stay inside. Don't club once again. I guess I got to tell y'all this after every episode. Ain't no kickback. No kickback. Kick your butt up inside. All right, Grandpa. Catch y'all next time. (laughs)